I'll preach. I said, really? At that moment, I, I, when, when God shows up in your life and, and I guess like offers you a chance to be obedient, that sounds really nice, but sometimes it comes more <laughs> like that. <laughs> yes. Well, that was, here we are. I've, I'm not a preacher. I've never preached before. This is the first time, so if you guys would indulge me, you would have my eternal gratitude. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, God bless you. Um, so, in keeping with what I just said, we start everything with prayer. So, let's start this today. I'm going to ask that you pray for me, and I'm going to be praying for you. Father, we thank you so much for, for your healing hand, Lord. We, we pray this over Pastor David. We pray from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Lord, we pray complete healing. Father, we pray for Ruthie as well. We pray for the, the, uh, the other half, the, I'd say the more important half. But, Lord, uh, you are so gracious, Father. I, I, I pray for, for everyone here today. Pray for open eyes, open ears, open hearts. Father, we thank you for all those that have come before us that have made it possible for us to freely gather with no fear, Lord. We pray for, for our regular members. We pray for our guests today, Father. And I'll pray for myself, Lord. Speak through me. Lord, thank you for, for, for giving me the, the, the blessing of opportunity to, to be obedient, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone says amen. Amen, church. A long time ago, um, you guys may remember Rick that used to be here. Um, he, he, uh, he, he, I guess he got a transfer or something, but he's, he, Rick's no longer here at this church. He moved out of state, but he said something that, that stuck with me. He said, everybody ought to have a sermon in their back pocket. And I, I, I said, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's about right. That's, that's probably a good idea. Certainly wouldn't hurt. So this was a couple years ago and I started writing something down and gathering bits and pieces of little nuggets here and there that made sense to me. And I wound up writing three sermons. And uh, when Pastor Dave asked me, he said, if you are, you, can you do this? I said, I got a sermon written out. And, and Dave said, you got it, man. So anyway, I, uh, I, I, I had three. Uh, I had two that were, I actually liked better. But um, God said, do this one. So I said, okay. So this one is, I, I titled this, Remember Lot's Wife. That is, in the words of Jesus, in Luke 17, 32, Remember Lot's Wife. These are three short words, but they're very important words in Jesus' day, and they're important words to us today. In Luke 17, 26 through 30, Jesus tells us, he tells uh, how things happened in the days of Noah and Lot. He says, when Christ returned, it will be like Noah's day. In those days, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings and right up until the time that Noah got on his boat and watched everybody else drown. That must have been an unbelievable thing to see. But said Jesus also, he goes on to say, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People doing their daily business. Eating, drinking, buying, selling, farming business, doing what they do. 
uh, like that. There's an old song. I think it's Bertie Higgins. It says, "Just another day in paradise." They they play that on the yacht rock radios. <laughs> you know what? I, it, it's it's kind of wrong to be talking about yacht stuff, and I'm talking about Noah's boat. That's, but. Anyway, until the morning lot left Sodom, and, uh, and then the burning sulfur rained down and destroyed all of them. It'll be business as usual right up till the day when the second coming of Christ, and he comes back to judge everyone. Jesus said on that day, a person working on a roof won't have time to go down and pack. A person out in the field ain't going to have time to go home. And he says, remember Lot's wife. That's the last verse. Well, let's frame it up a little bit. Let's talk about Sin City. Sodom was Sin City of the book of Genesis. In our time, the first thing that comes to mind when we say Sin City is Las Vegas. But honestly, Sodom and Gomorrah probably were closer to Tampa, St. Petersburg. Um, in size, in, uh, in resources, uh, they were in a valley. Uh, we're on flat land, but... Um, Lot originally chose to be near Sodom because of its choice land. It was a place where the soil was excellent, uh, abundant water, good climate. Sound familiar? Probably made it easier to farm and livestock thrive with a lot less work. So with all the spare time, laziness and gluttony and drunken parties were as common as breathing. And what lazy drunk would want to give that up, right? Actually, that does kind of sound like Tampa, St. Petersburg parts of it. Well, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, and while the poor suffered needlessly outside her door, that was from the book of Ezekiel, that's 1649. Ezekiel is 25 books later. So they were still talking about Sodom further, way further on down the Bible. Well, Genesis 19 is going to kick it off for us. We're, we read earlier in the text, it's rather long, but for... Time purposes. Let's, let's go to the basics here. Genesis 19.1 says, Lot meets two angels in the town square. And he didn't recognize them as angels. He saw it's just a couple of guys that were just hanging around, didn't have any place to go. And Lot, Lot was a real good guy. He, uh, when he approached them and, and said hello to them, he recognized that they were angels. He bowed, he paid his respects to them and, and, and all that. But, but he invited them to his house. Uh, he's for, for dinner and hospitality. Must have been from the south, right? He, uh, it was nice. It was right up until a whole gang of creeps show up at Lot's house. And they banged on the door. And they yelled for Lot to bring out these angels so they could assault them. And that means they just weren't good guys, okay? Um, they were up to no good. It was, it was bad. Well, now Lot's trying to fend off a gang of both old and young men of the city in order to protect these angels. He's trying to stall for time, and Lot offers up his daughters instead. He knows the gang, these, these guys don't want the daughters. Um, there's, if, if, you, if, if you read this, you know, it, it sounds awful that, that Lot would do such a thing, but, but I'm sure his wheels were turning. He was thinking, they don't want them. I'm, I, gotta, I gotta think of something. But the angels are watching all this going on, and I, I don't know if they were amused or not. They might have been, you know, watching, watching Lot go through all this, but, you know, they, they, got, they had enough of it. And they pulled Lot back in the house, and they blinded this bunch of guys outside. Now, 
they locked the door behind them. Um, it is, it, uh, there's discussion on this whether when, when he blinded them, um, he didn't, they, the angels didn't go out and maul them. They, there's uh, one line of thought I thought was interesting is somebody said, well, maybe they made it so that they couldn't see the door anymore. Um, I, I guess that worked. They, they, they all left. They were probably tripping over each other and stumbling since they were blinded. I guess, well, they were probably drunk too. So the angels, in the meanwhile, start questioning a lot, right? So do you have any other relatives? You got any family here in the city? Anybody you know? Get them out. Your son-in-laws, your daughters, anybody else. We're about to destroy this city completely. We're going to nuke this place. The outcry against God is so great that it's reached the or the outcry against this place is so great that it's reached the Lord, and He sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushes out, and he's telling this to everybody, and, and he gets to his daughter's fiance. He says, get out of this city. The Lord is fixing to destroy it. Well, they start laughing at him. They think he's joking, right? And he can't get through to them. It, it, verse 15 says, at dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent, and they told Lot, hurry, get your wife and your two daughters out of there. Okay, that's the next morning. So this whole thing started the evening before. So Lot probably tried all night long to get through to these knuckleheads that, you know, this is fixing to be, go bad real quick. He, they said, get out of here or you'll be caught up in destruction. Well, then Lot flees Sodom and Gomorrah with his wife and his daughter and heads toward a little place named Zor, which translated means little place. In Genesis 19, it takes Lot all night to get there, but he makes it. The Lord didn't want to destroy the city until he, his family made out safely. And this is important. Do not look behind you. In other words, no turning back. No turning back. God didn't want them to see the destruction, and he didn't want his people longing for life in such places. And this is where, where it's really important. I, you know, he didn't want them to look back and see everything he had on fire. But the point is, don't look back. No turning back. He didn't want them to want for what they left behind. Lot's wife and his daughters were the only ones to escape destruction. If we look at Noah, on the boat was himself his wife, his sons, and his son's wife. That totals eight people on that boat. Lot had even fewer. He escaped along with his wife and two daughters. That's four people that made it out of there. And not all of them made it away safely. Genesis 19.26 says, wife, his, his wife looked back as she was following him, and she became a pillar of salt. She left Sodom with him the day that Sodom was destroyed, and she looked back at the city from behind her husband against God's express command. She was struck dead at once and turned to a pillar of salt. For me, a pillar of salt is, that's a little bit, I, I can't wrap my mind around it. I, I, you can't go to Publix and buy a pillar of salt. I don't, you know, I'm not sure what that is. But I do know that, all that was left of Lot's wife's body, was, was, it was the salt from her body. Um, that's, yeah. So we move on, and what we have, 
the next is a gentle warning. The Lord Jesus holds her up as an example. He says, remember Lot's wife. This is a gentle warning when we think of who the person that Jesus names. He doesn't say, remember Goliath or Pharaoh. No, he singles out the one whose soul was lost forever. He says, remember Lot's wife. This is a gentle warning when we consider the subject that Jesus is speaking of. I mean, he went light on it. He's talking about his own second coming to judge the world. And he's describing an awful state of unreadiness which some are going to be stuck in. So it's a gentle warning when we think of the person who gives it. Jesus, the Lord, is full of love and mercy and compassion. He's the one that prayed for the men who crucified him. He thought it good to give us this gentle warning, just gentle warning. And I, I, I'm preaching to myself today, probably more than anybody, to, as a reminder. He says, remember Lot's wife. In this solemn warning, we think of, of whom and where it was first given. When Jesus said that, he was, he was at, a, I guess, a meeting. He was speaking to the disciples. He wasn't speaking to the Pharisees who hated him, or, or, but to the disciples, to Peter and James and John and, and many others who loved him. Yet even to his disciples, he had a word of caution. Remember Lot's wife. In the warning, he, he, he doesn't just say, don't be like Lot's wife. He uses a different word. He says, remember his tone was as if we were all in danger of forgetting. So he, he stirs up my lazy memory, and it's a reminder to keep it to the forefront of my mind. So what about Lot's wife? Well, a little bit about her. She, Lot's wife, uh, she enjoyed religious privileges. In those days, true saving religion was actually kind of scarce on, on the earth. There were no Bibles or ministers or churches or missionaries or media as we know it. The knowledge of God was confined to a relatively small number of people. The greater parts of the inhabitants of the world were living in darkness and ignorance and superstitions and, and sin. No one in a hundred, perhaps, had such clear knowledge and plain warnings as Lot's wife. You compare with others to her, of her time, she was a highly favored woman. She, was, she had a godly man for her husband, Lot. And Lot's uncle was Abraham. I mean, that's, that's, that's some heavy hitters to be picking up stuff from. The faith, knowledge, and the prayer of these two righteous men could have been no secret to her. Their faith was not for show. It was the ruling principle of their lives. All this... Lot's wife must have seen and known. There, this is no small privileges. When the angels came to Sodom and warned her husband to flee, she saw them. She was one of the ones they helped escape. Again, these were, these were no small privileges. To yet what good effect did that have on Lot's wife's heart? Nothing. With all her opportunities, all her special warnings, messages from heaven, she lived and died Graceless, godless, and unbelieving. Her heart was never really in the obedience of God. The form of religion that she had was kept up for the sake of looking good for her company, not from any sense of its value. She went along with Lot's ways. She made no opposition. 
the world was in her heart, her heart was in the world, and that's the state that she lived in and subsequently died. In all this, there is, there is much to be learned. I see a lesson here important to this present day. We live in times where there are many just like Lot's wife. So what was the Lord com communicating to us in those three words when he said, remember Lot's wife? He's telling us that Lot's wife turned back to the sin that she just fled. Jesus holds her up as an example to us. And we face a, pr a similar problem. All, all of us do. Myself as bad as anybody, probably, probably more than a lot of people I know. And that's being in the world, fleeing to salvation and getting tempted to look back. To this day, there are so many devoted Christians, despite the happiness and the peace and the grace that God provides for us, they, they get tricked into looking back. So looking back doesn't really mean to, to reflect on prior events, or that's not, not what I mean, or to ponder mistakes so you can fix things. It, it, it means to long for something God told us to turn away from, and we promised him that we would. How many of us have thought about what used to be or back in the day? Everyone thinks about days gone by. It's, it's normal human tendency to want to look back. It's common to miss that special someone that you felt like was the one, even though you realize they could never be your mate. If we run into rocky problems in our marriage and get frustrated with our marriage, it's easy to call someone from a past relationship for old time's sake. That's a certain kind of call that I won't say in here, but y'all know what it is. That's, the temptation is there to do that rather than to work it out with our spouse, with, with love and, and discussion and prayer and maybe a marriage counselor. I mean, after all, the Bible does say seek wise counsel. Uh, moving on. Uh, another thing where we're, we're tempted to look back is and, and I'll be brief on this, is, is porn on the internet. If, even if you aren't seeking it, legit news sites have links to lingerie stores. We're certainly not going to click on those. But what if we just look at the ad for a bit? If something pops up on your screen that you didn't look for, you ain't sinned yet. God is a just God, and he, he's, God's pretty smart with stuff like this. But... When it pops up on your screen, you have about that much time right there to, to get out. Anyways, moving on. Uh, this happens all the time. A sober person gets frustrated with life and longs for the booze or the drugs. Been there. Nobody's going to know except God and the millions who saw us getting smashed on Facebook. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, just as a little side note here, uh, just just uh, per, my personal belief is I, I ain't never seen a a, uh, a a commandment that says thou shalt not have a beer with your steak. You know, I, I don't drink, but but even I, I don't I, I don't. There's nothing wrong with with in my in my belief that there's nothing wrong with it in moderation. Uh, if you put stuff on. Facebook, you may only post uh, yourself having a big frosty cold fruity something or other just 
maybe once a month or so, but there's going to be that person that turns on Facebook and only looks at it once a month, and to them, all you do is drink. (laughs) What we say on social media and what people see are often two different things. Um, It'd be good if there was like a filter, but anyway, Corinthians uh, 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink, do whatever you do, all to the glory of God. You just... That's a, that, that's a safe, safe rule right there. But these situations come up because we get frustrated and we all know what it's like to have something good in front of us. And even he tries to convince us that we miss the old and familiar. Satan has been yelling the same old stuff in the ears of believers for a very long time. And he is very good at it. It's timelessly effective. It, it goes back, God led the Israelites out of brutal slavery in Egypt. Uh, all they could do was focus on the food they left behind. They said, we, in, in Numbers 11.5, says, we remember the fish we used to eat in, in Egypt for free, and we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlics, all we wanted. I'll bet they had some stanky breath, but anyway. <laughs> leeks and onions and garlic and fish, yeah, right. But they had been rescued from the horrors of Pharaoh's torture. Now, Pharaoh was a bad guy, man. I mean, he was bad. They, they had their freedom, and all they could think about was the slave food they had in Egypt. These are guys thinking about food, right? It's no surprise there. But the journey to the promised land was difficult, and Satan nearly convinced them that familiar evil was better than having faith in God. Remember Lot's wife. Today we're still faced with an enemy whose goal is our destruction. He tries to convince us that if we follow him instead of God, he'll quit pestering us. It's a scam. When, when terrible things happen and Satan says, what loving God causes bad things to happen when it was Satan the whole time? And I'm telling you, as a firefighter and, and my brother JB, who's, who's with us today, my captain for many years, we, we've been through some stuff nobody should have to see. But there were so many times when, when the enemy pulled out, you know, where is, where is this God that you worship? Why is he, do, you know, how, how could he allow this? Well, it was him that was causing the evil. And he was trying to get us to focus blame on God. It ain't right, is it, bro? So I say this whenever I get the chance. The most miserable person is not the one who doesn't know God. The most miserable one is the guy that knows God and turned away. And I, I can testify this because I, I, I go into school. I, I went to school at Lake Wales Christian School. I, my, my family is uh, I have a big faith background in my family. Half of them are, are, are in church. The other half are over there in those, in those bars and doing their thing. But there's, they're half and half. But that was my influence. And I, I walked with God for many years, and I got distracted. And all the stress of, of dealing with these, 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 these torn, burned bodies and these, these, all, the, this, all these things of dealing, a big coping mechanism on the fire department is drinking. And uh, I kind of fell down into that, into that path. And it, it might have brought temporary relief, but it, it, it brought more misery. 
and it, it ultimately ended for me. When I, uh, I was in the process of, of getting a divorce, I woke up in the front yard with a dew all over me, and I don't remember how I got there, but I woke up in a mud puddle, and the mud puddle was two-fifths of vodka that I barfed up in my sleep, and God spared me from choking to death because a lot of people have aspirated. A lot of people have, and, and, and he spared me. And I, I, at that, that very morning, I said, Lord, I, I just want to come back. I just want to come back. Can I come back? Well, I got that cleaned up. <clears throat> I, was, I was overweight. I, uh, I'll admit to being 70 pounds overweight. But, it's, you know, and now I'm newly single, and instead of hitting the bars and doing that stuff, I went to church. I started back. I, I was going to the crossing at the time. I thought that that was the biggest church that I could go to and be part of the woodwork, and nobody would know me there. But I, but I wanted to come back. It served its purpose. I love Pastor Greg over there. Um, but I did that, and I went to the gym, and, and I lost that weight, and I got myself right with God. And as a result, this, this, took, this was uh, more than a year that this process, so it didn't happen overnight. But as a result of me getting right, now, God didn't make no deals with me because God, God don't make deals with us, right? But God rewarded me with Roxanne. Gave me one of his very best. So anyway, moving onward <clears throat> and drying up, I'm going to have to. My buddy Jennifer told me uh, last Wednesday when we were here, he said, when you get up there, don't start sweating. He says, you want to you make sure you, you wear, you, you wear a, a, a silk shirt, something light. Look here, Jennifer. <laughs> yeah, Under Armour, no less. And I'm still sweating, so I, I appreciate it. You, you, your, your advice was good. But um, so anyway, Jesus cautions us here that when we've come to a place to, to follow Jesus, there can be no turning back. No turning back. If, if you, I'm going to warn you, if, if you accept Christ... And, and, and God gives you all of this, this peace and all of the things that come with being under his, under his loving arm. If you walk away, your life's going to stink. And stink ain't the word I'm thinking. It's, Brother Wiley, that's right, man. <laughs> Amen. Um, Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Fortunately, I'm from Plant City. I understand this. When you plow a field and you want straight rows, you must look ahead to where you're going to end up. You find something on the horizon to, to make a straight line. That's how you keep your, your rows are called furrows. That's how you keep your furrows straight. That's where the attractor, um, I, you know, when this was written, they did use oxen. I'm sure it was the same principle, staying, staying focused. Uh, it's like when you're driving down the road and your mom goes to smack you. She's not paying attention. Goes off. Anyway, if you look back, you'll veer off course, and tractors don't plow in reverse. 
So to be fit for the kingdom, we must stand behind our vision, our, our decision. If we start out right and turn back, we're going to end up wrong. It's just going to happen. God wants his people to not turn aside to their sinful ways. He wants us to hang tough until he returns for us. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you decided to come back? It's, it's typical to, to give an invocation in a church for, for those who don't know or who have not received Christ as, as, as Savior. Um, if you haven't done that, the process is that you admit your sin to God. You repent. You say you're sorry. You acknowledge that he did take the blame for us. His crucifixion was paid for our all of our bad. We get away with it. If you will ad admit that, then when they say, are you saved, you can say, yep, I am, in fact. If you've turned aside, if your life stinks and you want to come back, I just, I just want to come back. This could be your day. This, this could be the day. There's, uh, there's an old song written that we sing in the American church. The song is, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. That's a uh, Christian hymn. It originated in Assam, India. The lyrics were based on the last words of Noksing. Noksing was a, uh, a tribesman of the Garo tribe. He converted from the native Songsaric religion, which I guess they worship tree bark or rocks or whatever, but he, he, he converted from that to Christianity in the middle of the 19th century. Noxing and his wife and two children were taken into custody in order to renounce his faith by the chief of the village. The, the, the chief found out about this and he was mad. He said, you, you're going to renounce this faith. You're going to stop this. And Noxing said, I have decided to follow Jesus. This made the chief even matter. Chief ordered the archers, archers to shoot Noxing's two sons right there in front of him. And they did. And as the boys laid on the ground, they were bleeding out. The chief said, now you deny your faith? You've lost your, both your children. You're fixing to lose your wife too. Noxing said, Though no one will join me, I still will follow. And his wife was killed. And then they executed him. But while the last drop of blood, the last beat of his heart, was taking place, he was singing, The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. This display of faith is reported to have led to the conversion of everybody in that. Roxanne, will you come down? Mike, will you mind coming down here, please? The, the, the Sansung religion is just about gone now because all of the, the Garo, they're Christians. They're, they're tribesmen, but they're Christians. They, they live in India, and, and that's a tough place to be a Christian. Um, they, uh, it, it's, it's, it's tough to be a Muslim there, and it's even tougher to be a Christian. But they don't mess with those guys because they're like frozen in time. And these guys, they, 
these guys take their Christianity seriously. They're going to come swinging from the trees and in the vines and stuff, and somebody shows up wanting to give them a hard time. It's, there ain't no turning back. So here's the words to that song. 